Um, do we have a cute name for this? To to Kellen back. <laughs> um, <laughs> Highway to Kel. I like to Kellen back. Okay, cool. <laughs> Welcome to Tordal Recall, a podcast where we talk about the Tamora Pierce books and yell about them. Um, I'm Grace, and my pronouns are she, her. Uh, and I want to ask you all the question. If you had a uh, furious warhorse with a very cute name, a la Peach Blossom, what would their name be? Mine would be called Evangeline. Please introduce yourselves and answer my question. Oh, uh, my name is Amy. My pronouns are she, her. And my horse would be named... Lindsay Hoofbeats. <laughs> I like that it has a first and last name. I mean, she has a very long lineage. Yeah, as all fancy horses do. My name is Aurora, and my pronouns are she, her. And I think my horse's name would be Bubbles. But oh. just so the horse's nickname could be Bub, but when I got mad <laughs> at the horse, I'd call it Bubba. Uh, can I change my horse's name really quickly to Wensleydale Clip Clops? <laughs> <laughs> Amy, you have one hypothetical horse, just one. I'm renaming her to Wensleydale Clip Clops. Please, let's proceed. Okay, Gus. Hi, I'm Gus, and my pronouns are they them. Um, and I forgot to think about this question, which is bad because I need a lot of preparation to think about anything. Um. If I had a terrifying warhorse that had a very cute name, its very cute name would be, y'all, I need some help. <laughs> um, Baxter. That's pretty good. That sounds a little too warhorsey. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of does. Uh, um, Baxter Snugglekins the third <laughs> Esquire. Yeah. My horse's name would be Caladri of Mindelin because it's a really cute name <laughs> and I love her. Um... All right, uh, so now we're going to talk about First Adventure, our segment where we talk about our background with the book. Who wants to go first? Yeah, can I go first? Because this is one, this is the only one that I'd read before. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Please. Yeah, because I read it for Book Club when we did Book Club Nights, Tamara Pierce edition, Kel. And so I also read it in Chicago, the place where I live now, surprisingly enough. And I enjoyed it, It's but on reread... I had a lot more stronger feelings about it, mostly about being angry at John. That's very understandable. Mm -hmm. For context, I know we've mentioned this on the uh, podcast before, but um, we have a book club. We also have book club nights where we talk about childhood books. Aurora, did you read this book before? I did read this book. Um, I actually read it before I read any of the other Tomorrow Pierce books. Mm -hmm. um, and in hindsight, I'm kind of really thankful for that, because this is where things, I don't know, there are some things that I like some more, and I think were better for me as a young kid. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. It held up okay. I was a lot angrier reading it this time, but, you know, yeah, <laughs> there's a pattern there. I also was a lot angrier reading it this time than I ever have been. Uh, a lot at John, a lot at Wilton, 
Um, oh gosh, yeah. Oh my god, folks. Oh um, god. But um, I think the first uh, the first time I read these books, um, I must have must have been in middle school. But I remember reading them in high school when I was getting my best friend to read them, and she liked the Dane books more than these, which made sense for her personality wise. Um, but I was very offended because um, I loved these a lot. But I think they had a pretty big impact on me in terms of like. Kel is just somebody I really look up to, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and her, like, sense of morality, I think, really affected me as a kid. Um, yeah, I really feel the same way about her. Um, and these are actually the books that got me into Tamara Pierce as well, like Aurora said. So I have, like, a super visceral memory of finding them in our, in the library that I still live near, so that I still go to. Like, I could show you which shelf they were on when I found (laughs) them, and I really enjoyed reading them, and I reread them a bunch of times, probably even before I read any other, uh, of her books. So I, like, remember them so much more than the other ones, and like Gus said, I love Cal. I admire her so much. I think that she is, like, um, I mean, we'll talk a lot about it, but like the kind of hero that I want to exist more in the world and like the kind of person I aspire to be. So I really love coming back to them. And I'm glad that in many ways, like um, I'm glad in many ways that I read them when I was younger comparatively to the other books and um, that I can still come back to them uh, and have those like good memories with them. So I feel like so much warmer and fuzzier about the Kel books. Like I love other Tora Pierce books, <laughs> but these are like, I was so excited for us to get to them. And I know a lot of other people were as well. Thanks, Twitter. Um, <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, Kel's my girl. Now we're going to do first test. Um, and so can someone tell me about the plot of this book? I think I have a plot. But okay, my plot summary is Caledrine of Mindelin. Is that correct? Sure. Mindelin? Yeah. Mindelin. Mindelin. Great. Caledrine of Mindelin also known as Kel, uh, completes her first year of page training as a probationary page. So that means she's kind of on a trial year, which we'll talk about. Um, And over the years, she does page stuff. So swords, horses, tilting, math, and Mm. spider hunting. (laughs) And along the way, she makes friends and fights bullies, ultimately doing better and more than her peers under much more difficult circumstances. Yeah. Yep. That's my summary. That's a very good summary. You're so good at summaries. You're so good at summaries. It's a real talent. Like, you always knock it out of the park. I think I skipped some stuff, though. Please fill in the holes. That's what a summary is for. Aurora, when I was in first grade, I I had an assignment where the teacher was like, you have to summarize this book. And I didn't understand what the teacher meant, so I rewrote the book from a different point of view. (laughs) (laughs) I love and respect that. (laughs) I love that so much. I'm so glad. Guess would you like to tell us the plot of this book from a different Uh point of view? (laughs) Uh, So, yes, actually, I would. Um, So, Neil of Queen's Cove (laughs) is a, um, he's a very, uh, he's, he's a healer who dropped out of healing school to uh to join the military but secretly at heart he's a drama kid and (laughs) he made friends with this this young this young girl who is a page and he's also a first year page but he's like old and 15 and cool and he like is like the funny cool foil to her like 
just, you know, her stoic and rule-following self. Yeah. And he's great. That's the Neil story. That's the Neil story. I'm so afraid that they're going to, like, fall in love. And it's going to be weird again. Like, that's my fear. We can't talk about that yet. Animorphs. Thank you. (laughs) I love Neil, though. Love Neil. So that kind of transitions us into talking about characters, uh, namely Neil, whom we love. He's got so... Neil's got jokes, you guys. They're actually funny. It really made me laugh, like now, as an adult reader. Every time he talks to our not-favorite character, Wilden, or Wild, however you say his name, uh, it's hilarious. So funny. Yeah. So he's, good. He's not afraid to uh, talk back to authority, which I was <laughs> making some notes about that. Because I was like, you know, at first I was like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, Neil as like, he's like, you know, got like class privilege and he's also like, you know, a boy unlike Kel. So he's like, you know, has a lot of privilege in that area, too. But there's also just the fact that he's significantly older and more secure in his place at the court because he's lived there his whole life. Right. And his, you know, dad is like the palace healer and all this other stuff. And he just like has this like sense of like being secure in where he is. And his stakes aren't as high as Kel's are. And it's just like, it just makes for a really interesting character dynamic. And I love him. Right. I think it makes him like a pretty good ally as well. Like, yeah. I definitely want to talk about it more as we get into our social justice discussion. Yeah, yeah. it's nice that he takes what he has and uses it to support his good friend Kel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I tr- was trying to find some of my favorite lines from Neil, but... I don't know. There's a lot of really, really good ones. Yeah, we we could be here all night just recounting everything he says. Yeah, he's he's a funny guy. Um, really good, like sassy best friend character, which you know maybe is missing from a lot of kid lit. Yeah, I also appreciate that their dynamic is like okay. It does fall a little bit into the whole like competent woman goofball man trope, but it also is very much like just like a strong character restraining someone from like doing a completely different method of looking out of people for people who are weaker than them, you know? Like they both just care a lot about other people, but in very different tactics and with mm-hmm. very in very different ways, but they still go out there and like look out for each other when they don't need to and i it's just really nice yeah she makes him eat his veggies oh god yeah they look out for each other it's very reciprocal i really feel like um it's kind of like the hermione harry friendship dynamic except neil is definitely the hermione which is really cute oh that's true (laughs) and kel is so much more rad than harry was right and also, yeah. Kel is a Hufflepuff. Yeah. Yes, she is. Yeah. And also, Kel thinks about things sometimes. Sometimes she has thoughts. Sometimes she mm-hmm. does have thoughts. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is this not Harry Potter, Harry Potter call-out day? Yeah. But there's, like, there's the particular moment where um, Neil is trying to uh, kind of talk Kel out of going after the bullies who are, like, several years older than her and just being, like, this... 10 year old little avenger all over the um i i was assuming they lived in a castle that might actually be untrue do they live in a castle it's a palace a palace cool i've said before i'm really not a visual reader so sometimes i just make assumptions about stuff. 
but um she's uh he's trying to talk her out of being this like roving 10 year old avenger um and uh they're like disagreeing about her, her trying to get rid of bullies and it's just like the most like harry hermione discussion ever and it was very cute she's like you know somebody's got to get rid of bullies it's like not you you're 10 (laughs) (laughs) but then he ends up helping her which is so it's it's beautiful i really enjoyed that aspect of the plot of this book i love when also when he goes what is it cal it's like after the first time that she fights with the bullies Mm. and she's they're with his dad Mm -hmm. and Neil gets, like, so worked up that he just ends up leaving the room and just talking to himself Mm and being like, you people. And (laughs) it's great. He's he's so drama. He's our drama boy. Yeah. He's a nice boy. Uh, What about Kel, our girl? Yes. Oh, my gosh. She's so rad. I love how unimpressed she is with the king. Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) So good. Look, Kel's relatable in a lot of ways. (laughs) I just want to point out that she at no point was like, for King John, terrible, but very handsome. Because I feel like everyone else has. Oh, she was like, he has really long eyelashes, would would look feminine on anyone else but not him. Is that yeah. does that mean handsome? <laughs> there was like a whole paragraph about like he was like the most striking and beautiful man she had ever seen. But also she was very pissed off at him. <laughs> also like the bully boy. She was also like, he's the most beautiful man. Kinda weird. Oh, He's basically, so I read a bunch of the times that she describes him, and he is described exactly like uh, Drake, Draco or Lucius Malfoy. Draco Malfoy. Yeah, he is the Draco Malfoy of this book. I mean, he's, in all senses, the Draco Malfoy of this book. Okay, 100% I was going to make that exact same comparison. So when they, intru- when they introduce him, it's, you know, it's like, it's like, he was just this, like, stunningly beautiful boy, and, like, he, like... He looked a little bit feminine and like he had very long pale blonde hair or maybe not very long but you know pale blonde hair and he like, is wearing a ponytail at one point so like very long longish who knows but it reminded me so much of the second episode of which please when <laughs> hey. they're talking about the casting of draco malfoy and like the appearance of draco malfoy in the first harry potter movie and they say like they're talking about like visual vocabularies and the way mm-hmm. that the movie uses like uh like sort of like femininity and like um femininity in men to like signal a certain type of character you're not supposed to like and it just like reminded me so 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 strongly of that right oh i forgot that discussion but it applies well here too yeah Mm -hmm. ah good point actually yeah like every every beautiful man in this book has been very bad to kel yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, beware of beautiful men. Yeah. yeah. No, but like all of her friends just get described as like, oh, Cleon had red hair. He was fine. <laughs> and then like he becomes a friend later. And then every time that a guy is later super bad to her, it's like, he was strikingly beautiful with fine bones and whatever. <laughs> Can't trust those beautiful, effeminate men, am I right? Apparently not. Oh my God. <laughs> John is only a little effeminate, though, because I think we're supposed to mostly like him. Just his eyelashes. Yeah. He's only a little bit very bad at what he's doing and <laughs> negative to everyone. Um, yeah, just not like outwardly, not out and out evil, 
But I do I enjoy that this book is so much more upfront with the idea that John is just a jerk. And maybe that's like not being clouded by Alana's emotions towards him is different. But um, in terms of character building, I think it is just kind of being like, okay, now he's this powerful man. Um, he's further away from, you know, not just the cast that we're familiar with, but like the common people and the concerns of the rest of the people. So he has to make these has to make these big moves that are not, you know, good for people, not in the common interest because he's balancing these different political factors. So then he ends up coming off so much more callous when we already knew he was really callous, but now, <laughs> you know, like we can see it in this book more so. So I'm just um, like, there's development, but I'm not sure if it's actually character development or if it's more perspective development. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. My cat is scratching the furniture. Come back. Oh, no. No, that's illegal. Arrest them for their crime. Um, there's two sort of character arcs I would like to touch on, and those are specifically Kel and Wilden. Um, and I want—I mean, we we were kind of talking about Kel before we got distracted talking about Joran of Stone Mountain and how beautiful he is, and also <laughs> evil and bad. A beautiful boy from a stony, stony mountain. He's just a beautiful and extremely mean boy. But, and what's better than that? Okay, we're doing it again. We're getting distracted again. <laughs> yeah. We can't keep making fun of how beautiful he is. Talk about this beautiful oh, boy. Oh, man. Y'all, there's a cat on the screen. Beautiful, beautiful <laughs> oh, cat. The cat is waving. The most beautiful boy. He has to sit like this when he's in trouble. It helps him calm down. Follow Fig on Instagram at figthecat.instagram.net underscore just fig.cat and instagram.com <laughs> but do follow him on instagram he's a beautiful boy oh my gosh look at him okay sorry Gus, you were talking about character arcs. i was talking about kel who has a character arc the main character and her character grows throughout this book that we read please talk about it gus go go okay please. well the summary of this is that there are two chapters that are chapters five and seven and one is called kel backs away and the next is called kel takes a stand so we have a very like it's a very clear you know pretty cut and dry character arc in terms of her like you know learning how to stand up to bullies um but what i really like in this book is and this holds true i think for the rest of you know for the rest of the protector of the small books and i think it's something that you know like, a lot of kid lit does really well. This isn't, you know, something that's, I think, I don't want to imply that other books don't do this well. But it stuck with me uh, for these books, because I love them so much, is that um, they really clearly show, like, Kel grappling with, um, like, all of the possible, like, issues. That, you know, she's like, you know, she make, goes through a lot of phases of how to confront bullies and when to confront bullies. And thinks very, like, you get to see her thought process very clearly about why she does and doesn't at various times. And it's just really good to read. Yeah. You know. I was also thinking so much about this because I was thinking a lot about that, the message here. And again, I don't think this is totally unique to the book. It just made a big impression on me. And I think there are other books that don't do it as well. Or mm -hmm. other stories that don't do it as well. That Cal... It's not, it is bad that bullies are mean to Cal, but it's bad because it perpetuates injustice. And I mm -hmm. feel like that so molded me. And now I'm a social worker and I'll never make any money and it's all your fault. <laughs> 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 
that's beautiful. <laughs> but also, like, I do really love that about Kel, and I also love that part of her story, story sort of implicitly says, like, what, how am I supposed to stand up for myself if I'm not going to stand up for other people as I do that? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, right. But at the same time, it's also how am I supposed to stand up for other people if I don't stand up for myself sometimes? Yes, exactly. Yeah. They're like, those two things are happening at the same time. And like, they are almost seen as the same thing. Like, I just really like, I really like that about her. Um, right. Right. Like the, the treatment of everyone has to be just and fair and you can it, you have the right to expect that for yourself and you also need to defend other people and act when they aren't getting that treatment. Mm-hmm. And she's she's in a situation where she is actually not able to stand up for herself right. if she wants to stay in, you know, the situation that she wants to be in. You know, if she wants to be allowed to stay at court as a page. But she manages to stand up for other people anyways, and it's really admirable, and I love her. Mm-hmm. I love her so much. Oh, I, I like how we kind of watch her grappling with this idea of tradition and where she stands. Like, you know, at the beginning, she's like, ah, it's her tradition, maybe it's okay. And then she kind of evolves being like, just because it's tradition, that doesn't mean it's okay. And I think that's a lot of, I mean, I think it's a lot of, you know, what we see in um, the relationship that she has with Wilden, Wilden, and the way that, you know, she starts kind of just accepting authority at face value while seeing that it's wrong and then finding the ways in which she can push against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, we'll keep watching this develop. And mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting to see how the people around her react to it, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. And the idea for kids that authority isn't always right like uh-huh. with the respect idea I think is really interesting and seeing Cal grapple with it really like establishes a way that you could think about it as well um, yeah. as a kid um, did we miss something that you wanted to say Amy? I was interested in talking a little bit about just like the idea of this 10 year old protagonist in this book for like young people being able to take on this nuanced role in the book of like having to behave as a model of the like as a model of something like having to be perfect etc and go along with these rules while also trying to stand up for her own ideals Um, And even when those two things, like, directly oppose one another, it's kind of incredible to find uh, for me. I mean, I haven't read a lot of middle grade lately, but in the middle grade that I had, if that was there often, I didn't really read into it. There was a lot less, like, it was either this is unjust and you shouldn't put up with it, or this is actually, you deal with this and then later someday you can fix it you know right yeah I think it's really good to see that in literature because it acknowledges that you know children's experience isn't completely divorced from the world so they will experience these situations where like their children have these really deep full experiences that we don't always talk about with as much depth as they deserve and so there are going to be kids who are in their classroom 
when they're 10 and, you know, having to grapple with a lot of these problems, having to grapple with being some sort of um, example of some group or some difference that they exemplify. Um, and they deserve to be able to have models for how they can um, level critiques about the way they're being treated. And I really like that Cal has given that chance, you know, um, in, in more well, we'll talk about this more as we start to draw more comparisons, but I, I would say in more nuanced ways than Alana is given that chance, even just as simply as she is presenting herself as a girl. So she has that like different dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know. This is a good book, you guys. I was really happy while I was reading it. It made me like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I felt like a lot of um, feelings. It made me feel yeah. motivated. Same. Yeah. Well, if you want to have fewer happy feelings, Gus also mentioned Wilden's character arc. Yeah, his arc or lack thereof. His arc straight into the trash. (laughs) (laughs) From the trash, further into the trash. He was already in the trash and he managed to land in a worse trash. (laughs) And this book Wilden remains in the trash. Oh, man. Um, Okay, so when I was uh, thinking about the series before I started reading this book, um, my general impression was that um, what I vaguely remembered about Wilden was that he uh, sort of, the book works really, or the book, the series works really hard, I think, by at least, you know, by the end, to make you in some ways grudgingly respect Wilden. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that's true. Um, I think I would, and I think I would have to finish my reread of the whole series to find out. Um, But I do know that it, it never straight up condemns his behavior. Or at least that's my memory of it. But, um, my, the point is that even though he's shown to be a just like deeply unfairly just like a very a very unfair um, training instructor and a person you know who's in a position of power who is very sexist and very racist um, that he's like by the end of the book he is he has in some ways come around on Kel as a person and that we are um, encouraged to read that as a sympathetic character trait in him. Yeah. Um, I agree that that's the framing that we're mm-hmm. supposed to be reaching. Um, yes. In particular, the moment at the end, like the reveal that he has daughters, I think is supposed oh. to be humanizing, oh. <laughs> but it made me so much more mad, like yes. eight times yeah. more mad. It's like your poor daughters. Your poor daughters. And like that rhetoric is so, could not be more irritating. Like, Mm -hmm. so I was annoyed that that was sort of treated as this realization moment. And also I don't like the idea that we're supposed to read it as this big struggle for Kel to prove herself to him. And Mm -hmm. then her as an individual, she can get this acceptance that's really meaningful. um, Because that doesn't actually do anything to address the like oppressive power structures that he's embodying. That's like, this bad narrative that comes up a lot where it's like, oh, I'm gonna prove you wrong. And then you'll see that one woman is cool. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then you'll 
presumably not being stop being sexist forever because that's not actually part of this discussion. Okay, yeah, I yes, I agree with that, and I also think there's something going on here where we are supposed to feel the way everyone else feels about Wilden, which is like, yes, this man is terrible, but he's done some very good things and is good at what he does, and isn't that a redeemable trait? And the thing is, there are plenty of men even in this series, who are fair and who are not sexist and who are not racist. For example, Ral of Golden Lake is right there. Yeah. He's right there. And he's yeah, perfect. He's right there. But instead of like, but instead of like, I don't know, trying to focus on and give like, give more focus on the people who are doing it right, we are going to work so hard to make sure that you respect this person who is not a good person because he can do something that other people who are good people can also do. Like, yeah. instead, we're making it a really focus on this man who's doing it very wrong in so many ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that has a lot of real world analogs, too. Like, it really brings to mind for me um, rhetoric around, like, politicians uh, when mm-hmm. things come out about them in the media, uh, about violence towards women, and then we're supposed to be like, oh, but they've passed laws that are helpful to women, you know? Like, someone yeah. else could have done that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you're, yeah. Like, your interpersonal actions have much more meaning and consequence, like, in terms of truth to your character, you know? Yeah. Politicians and also lately a lot of, like, writers and artists, and by lately I mean throughout history, but now we actually can talk about it. <laughs> now and it's expose in the news. It. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, just, like, you can, like, if there is a bad person who is good at something, I guarantee you that there are at least ten good people who are equally as good who were not given the same opportunities. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. creating, or, like, committing good deeds does not excuse you from, you know, people aren't sorted into good and bad. Like, you can do good things and be a bad person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not like they cancel each other out, that, yeah. like, no. all of your bad deeds are excused if you do a good deed. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I will also say that there's definitely the the trope of, like, the um, really tough teacher can mm-hmm. be carried forth without this kind of, like, prejudice. And, like... Yeah, that's something that actually really bugs me, because I have a lot of trouble um, with, like, kind of, like, authority figures who are not, like, nurturing, you know? Like, I don't know how to relate to authority figures who, like, Wilden are a little bit more, like, um, who are strict or who are not compromising. And it would have been really valuable to me to see Kel negotiating and navigating that sort of relationship that wasn't also a deeply, like, sexist relationship. That, that would have been really cool to see. And it's not that. He's just a bad person. Yeah, someone can hold you to high standards and be hard on you and expect a lot from you without, like, demeaning your character yeah. or, like, believing you can't achieve that because of things that are integral to your identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that her math tutor, though? Like, we yeah. barely see it. but Oh, yeah, we do but... like her math tutor. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of her teachers. I was, I was excited to see my friend Miles. Oh yeah, Miles is still there, and he's also a good and man. And my friend Taka. I don't really know about his pedagogy, <laughs> but nice guy. <laughs> Taka is not wearing clothes in the classroom. <laughs> he's a lizard, and we can't have this discussion again. We can't go through this again. I'm sorry. I just need you to know that. He does have a pocket, Amy. Does that constitute clothing? 
No, it's the opposite of clothing. It is the literal <laughs> in clothing. Um, does anyone have anything else to say about plot, world building, characters? I like that Kel doesn't have magic at all. Yes. Yeah, that's rad. I'm done with it. That she doesn't have magic? Yeah. I mean, I like that. I, I'm pretty sure there was an attempt made to portray her as being, you know, very like down to earth and super relatable. And I, I mean, she was. Mm-hmm. But then I always forget that she's also extraordinary, you know, <laughs> both in her maturity, her youth, her, you know, her parents seem very cool. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, sometimes I forget, but. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit when you're we talking about Alana, but like, really like that we see she's extraordinary, but it's because she's worked hard, you know? Yeah. Like when yeah. she has these skills, they're like, oh, how long have you been trading since you were six? That kind of makes sense, you know? Yeah. And yet, <laughs> and yet at the same time, we can still be really pissed off at everybody who fit- says that Alana cheated her way to knighthood. Oh, yeah, we can still be mad. <laughs> it's still like, right, it's still like, no, like, the fact that Alana has magic doesn't make her less rad, you know? Yeah. It doesn't make her less rad. Okay, so this is our new uh, feature section, which may or may not be in future episodes, but we're calling it To Cal and Back. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to talk about uh, comparisons between Cal and Alana. We thought it would be kind of helpful just to have a specific discussion so that it doesn't take over the rest of our, um, the rest of our talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but we thought we'd put it in uh, its own little little special section. So I thought it was cute that we're back to the um, first book as a school book. Um, yeah. I really appreciated that. They both went to math class. They both went to math class. Our friend Miles is back. You hear a little bit about oh. them hearing about each other, which is fun. And he's like a, a good support figure for the both mm-hmm. of them, or offers himself as one at least. Yeah, Alana and Cal both clearly have gift giving as their love language, which is relatable. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I think we should go over briefly Alana's role in this book, which is that she's only in it very briefly at the beginning to be extremely pissed off. Like, rightfully so. Oh, yes, yeah. rightfully so. That Kel is, first of all, on probation, and second of all, not allowed to have any contact with Alana because apparently people will think that Alana helped Kel cheat. Which I'm not saying is fake, but anybody who says that is going to find something else to do. To like exactly. say Kel cheat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come and on. John is like, women supporting women? No, it's illegal. Can't have that. Okay. But <laughs> it's absolutely not allowed. Anyway, so she's very pissed off and then she's not allowed to contact Kel. But she does manage to send some anonymous gifts to Kel. I have a fan theory that part of how Alana is supporting Kel is before Alana left, she said to Dane, hey, make sure that this new girl Kel has company. And Dane, being Dane, (laughs) thought, birds, that's friends. That's how Dane makes friends. Oh, that's so good. This is a really good fan theory, Amy. I really feel like that's believable. Uh, Except I also really like that Kel also maybe this is comparing all of our protagonists but kel also has the like animals but she really approaches them as friends which is so cute really Mm -hmm. liked it i liked seeing dane man didn't you love when neil was like oh he's too old for her yeah that was an extremely good part and he also is there like in each series a a period in which one of the characters just writes bad poetry about someone (laughs) they're kind of into (laughs) Are you saying that Neil is writing emo poetry about Dane? I feel like he totally would be. 
Yeah, probably. But his poetry would probably be, like, at least sort of fun. Whereas I feel like John's would just be, like, peak emo kid. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But comparing Cal and Alana as characters, I was really interested in the idea that um, Cal is this more... She feels like a more outwardly focused character, you know? And then Alana is much more on the grind, like, doing it for herself. And Cal does kind of have to take on this mantle of representing women, but it also seems like that's just the kind of character she is, is that she's like a network building character. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that. I think that's a really fun kind of character to have who someone who puts that group together and uh, is looking at the landscape of all the different people in her life, you know? Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. Gosh. And like the thing about Kel though is she wasn't even doing it on purpose when she built that friend group. Yeah. And, like, I think Neil definitely helped with that, but even, she didn't really believe anyone was her friend for a long time, which is relatable, but... And mm-hmm. similar to Alana as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. Like, it's just really nice. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's a good comparison between the two of them, is they both did build those networks, but didn't quite believe they were their networks. Yeah. But Alana's network, but like, yeah, again, Alana's doing it for herself more than anything else. Like, mm-hmm. whereas Kel had like a almost a plan going in, yeah, a little bit, and then was instantly forced to become like a was instantly forced to become a role model for everyone. Whereas Alana was forced to keep her identity as secret as possible the whole time. Um, so, which I think we already touched on, but <laughs> I'd like to point out that Kel is already a strategist. Even at the age of 10. She is. Mm -hmm. I love it. Did reading the two books feel similar? Like first test and Alana's first book? Yeah. First adventure. They were really different reading experiences for me. I thought they felt really different too. I asked a leading question, but leading away from my answer. So I don't know if that was confusing. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, I mean, we've talked about how Alana's book really jumps around a lot and, you know, doesn't you know, it's, it's one story, you know, it's like her, it's, but it's covering a much longer period of time. It's covering three or four years mm-hmm. and it skips around a lot more and it isn't really as cohesive as this one. Yeah. This is, you know, it for one thing, it only takes place over the course of a year and it's, um it focuses, we get to see a lot more of her friends, you know, we get to have a lot more interaction with her friends. We get to like really know them. Yeah, it feels a lot closer and more domestic, mm-hmm. which yeah. is both the kind of thing I prefer to read and also, I think, more fitting Cal as a character. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're both good books. They're both good books. They're both great books. They're both good books. <laughs> I think they're both nice. I think they're both nice. Um, that's why That's why we've ventured into a podcast about them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, have we covered books that we would say were not good? Perhaps. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Alright, now it's time for Social Justice Corner. Uh, We're going to mostly focus on race in this episode, and we're going to come back to feminism in the next episode. And what do we have to say about race? Um, Did not like the the representation of... At first, there was the guy who's Bazir and a knight, and I was like, this is rad. I really like Mm -hmm. that there's actually, like, concrete um, integration and, you Mm -hmm. know, like, helping them. The 
two societies come closer by offering pathways. Uh, that's really cool. And then it turns out that he's just a bully who's a real caricature. And that was frustrating. Mm, yeah, that was unfortunate. My least favorite part of that was, oh, what, what was what was that character's name? Zaheer, was that when he said, women belong behind a veil, go back where you belong? And I was like, oh my god. For a second, I thought that was a very poetic way of threatening her life. Um, oh, behind the veil, like the... Like the veil between life and death, okay. Which might have been better, weirdly enough. Oh, like, threatening to kill a ten-year-old might have been better? Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, it was real bad. I think, okay, so, I had two two specific issues with the way that his character was treated. One of them is an in-universe thing, and one of them is out, an out-of-universe thing. So, I mean, one of them is actually a critique of Wilden, which is that part where he was like, Zaheer, we're not racist here in the North. No, what did he say? He said, we're not sexist here in the North. Uh, yeah. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, coming from Wilden, is quite a statement. I said racist because it was a very racist statement on the part of Wilden, and I got my wires a little crossed. Well, Wilden's full of racist statements. That was not the last of them. Yeah. I mean, it is both racist and sexist of him to say, mm-hmm. and it's perpetuating this really harmful idea that there's, like, I don't know, just that cultures that are not ours are very oppressive in a way that's uniquely wrong and has nothing mm-hmm. to do with anything we do. Right. Well, he's... He has expressed about many cultures that he thinks cultures other than Tertullian uh, culture um, are not civilized. Mm. Right. Like, oh, the Bazir, they're sexist and misogynistic in an uncivilized way. I'm, I'm that way in a good way. <laughs> right. He's protecting tradition. Oh, guys, mm-hmm. it's bad. But the out of universe thing, so the thing that I... You know, that's that's like a character trait about Wilden, a character, you know, a thing that was going on in that conversation. But one thing that I didn't, I specifically didn't like in terms of how the book was written was this this fight um, between Kel and Joran and Zaheer and somebody else might be there. Vincent's there. Anyways, Kel is picking a fight with some bullies and the the narration only uses an epithet. So, you know, something that's not the person's name to mm-hmm. in place of the person's name not a person's name or pronoun anyways to describe one person and that is Zahir in uh, multiple times he's referred to as the Bajir which is just in in a in a passage in which you're not you know everybody gets just referred to by their first name all the time and we do we know his name like he's not someone whose mm-hmm. name we don't know right it's extreme it's just like really egregious it's just like mm, just gotta remind you twice in this same paragraph here uh about this person's mm-hmm. ethnicity gotta remind you about that it was like very disconcerting yeah and like especially when it's specifically being used in the context of like basically violence not great like it's not yeah like specifically no. reminding someone of that fact i think there's maybe a good application if you are like maybe if it's not about violence, maybe. Except it's probably not. Actually, cut that. Like, if you know someone's name, I really feel like you can just know their name. Yeah. And just say uh-huh. their name, you know? And I can remember. And you can treat them as a culture rather than 
you know, sorry, not as a culture. You can treat them as a character rather than like as like something that's pointing to something else, which right. is icky. Yeah, like right. a token or a representation of mm-hmm. an identity that they have that nobody else there has. That's a lie. Seavery apparently has some um, Bajir heritage, but. Yeah, right. And and then there's another, there's the Bajir guy with them mm-hmm. when they're like running the military operation later in the book. It's in a different context. Mm-hmm. Um, but very different context. Yeah. So we have very limited representation from that group. And so like, it's just not thoughtfully done, especially as we've critiqued before, like the idea of having just like the most clear analog to a culture that is like very like very much real in the world and then not treating that with sensitivity is just like it is really perpetuating of bad stereotypes and ideas and violence against a culture that already you know experiences a lot of those stereotypes in our culture so um Mm -hmm. not a fan um yeah i also think uh we should talk about Cal's relationship with uh, the Yamani people. Yeah. So Cal's relationship with the Yamani people is really interesting. I think that it's um, like the way I was parsing it was kind of to think about her as like uh, like maybe like a third culture kid or something like that, where she is uh, living somewhat separate from. It does seem like you know her family is. A little bit separated from just like the general populace but they're they're pretty integrated in their lives but she has lived some of her life there she's got some of both cultures uh, it's definitely an interesting representation my big big question is if you really wanted to explore this culture why not just write a yamani protagonist mm-hmm. or like name any yamani characters like give any of them names i don't think that any of the characters kel talks about have names they're just like the second lady in waiting or like this woman or just the yamani in general as like a monolith there was the right. um one of her fighting teachers right haku and seastone i think and she names princess chizakami mm-hmm. yeah um, and also the backstory is so white savory with her mom and the sword it is so white savory it would have been okay ex- well i mean not okay yeah less bad and that's really what gave the family kind of entry. And yeah. um, I think that's why they were, I think, invited to be part of the emperor's inner circle and right. why Kel was raised so closely with that that family and um, in closer connection with that culture than she would have been otherwise as an ambassador's daughter. We should go over the backstory with her mom really briefly, just for people who haven't recently reread this. So Kel's mom is established to be really super badass, um, which is great and rad. Yeah. The incident that is like discussed that makes her like so like rad and like where she was like really badass and stuff is like she was, are we allowed to say badass? Yeah, we've said it before. Um, (laughs) Is that... She saves um, some very important religious artifacts from, I believe they're being raided by Scanrens when they're at the Yamani Islands. And the reactions, the way that the reactions of the staff, the Yamani staff um, in the building that she's in are portrayed is just, oh, it's some, it's some exoticizing language. Let me see if I yeah, can find it. It's really over the top. Mm-hmm. it's extremely over the top uh, when they faced mm, yeah this is about the guards 
that they hear is the guards. When they faced their rescuers, the guards knelt as one. They bowed low to the woman and the girl, touching their heads to the bloody floor. It's extremely... Otherizing and stereotypical. Right. It's a... I mean, it's it's playing on stereotypes and it's also just a little, um... I don't know. It, It feels really, like, bloody and visceral for what the rest of this book is. Yeah. And also, like, we can re-reference maybe some of our discussion throughout the Alana books with John and Alana in the Black City and then later on uh, John and Alana again in with the Bazir tribe but you can't like it's not a merit badge you can't earn your way into another culture through great acts like you can nope. <laughs> gain respect and things like that but the way this is being talked talked about is just like playing into some really I mean for, as a modern reader really dated tropes um, that are not beneficial to the way that we talk about, you know, uh, cultural appreciation and exchange. There's also just an unnamed uh, Yamani woman who dies in like a, like a page, within a page of that starting, which is just, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think that was specifically what I was citing earlier when I said that like, yeah. people aren't given names, like that woman appears yeah. on screen to die as a nameless extra and we aren't supposed to feel like we aren't supposed to feel especially bad about it i guess like we're supposed to be like that's a horrific thing for kel (laughs) she's there to give some exposition about how important these swords are and how like and some exposition about the culture of the yamani islands and how like duty is really important to them or something and then she dies yeah Mm. yeah also, like, it is cool in some ways to establish the idea, or, like, bring back the idea, I guess, that um, Cal is raised with sort of different cultural values. Mm-hmm. I think that's does show some interesting diversity and leads to some d- interesting interactions uh, and establishes more of a full picture mm-hmm. of a culture when you show them as having these, like, really, truly different ways of thinking about the world in, in certain aspects. Um However, it is, again, just stereotypical and otherizing of Asian cultures and not that helpful when you're, especially when she's not having these moments that make her really see why those values are important to people or what they bring to the culture or like moments in her personal story where they resonate for her. It's just like, well, this is how it is for them. And, you know, that's the way it is. So that's for me, too. It's not that interesting. It could be way more interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll come back to this, I think, in a future series as well. But as, as interesting as Kel is as a character, could we, like, get a Yamani character? Like, as the main character? Like, that would be rad. Or even, like, as, as a close friend. I think mm-hmm. we'll get one later. Mm-hmm. But, um... Right. Animorphs. Yes. I'm sorry. I was about to say, more friend? More friend? More friend. Sorry for the... The kind of spoiler hints. Anyways, we'll bring it up when we get there. Yeah. But yeah, again, if, if you want to write this culture and it seems like you have a lot of really cool ideas to more peers, uh, write a person from that culture, maybe. And maybe you don't feel confident doing that because you realize that your writings are stereotypes. And the solution to that would be to write better about, about that culture. The of shade. About that culture. I've talked about how much I like the book. 
I just think, you know, like, if you don't feel confident writing that char- a character from that culture as your main character, like, maybe that's an indicator that you should do some more work in general, you know? Mm. You know? <laughs> I hope that's yeah. not too harsh. I like that yeah. you're brave enough to say, like, I like that you're brave enough to say the things that are often in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my heart is honest, and if it's too harsh, you can cut it, but I just feel like, you know, you see the point mm-hmm. I'm making? Yeah. Um, all right. We ready for some some next section? Wait, wait, wait. Yes. Lord mm-hmm. Wilden, Wilden, Will Wilden, <laughs> I don't know his name. <laughs> is real racist. Yeah, he is. Let's just say it. I just I can't. I don't why is he considered acceptable? Like, why did they let him work with other people? Why is he around children? Because the people who make decisions are white men. That's all. Oh, God, you're so right. <laughs> Good song, Amy. Can you record that for my ringtone? He doesn't like Fayette. He's the only character in this series who doesn't like yeah, Fayette. he doesn't like Fayette, and she's Fayette. Fayette is perfect in every way. Yeah, and what he doesn't like about her is that he's helping establish a more universalized educational yeah. system. And also that she's from a different country, and she she's not white. Brought in those ideals about women and being able to be on a horse. Horses for women? No. Equality. Teaching people. Garbage. He's so bad. And he's super racist to people's oh. faces. I mean, don't be racist ever. Right next to the Shangwari. He thinks it's acceptable and he thinks that he has the power, which he does have the power, to just do that with no repercussions, which is really gross. It's so gross. And says a lot about how the palace is run. Yeah, again, just coming back to, like, there's no such thing as a lovable racist character. Like, you can't make us respect him if he's going to be perpetuating those ideas. And the more you try and frame him as a respectable character, the more, you know, the overall ethos of the book is tainted by that. Yeah. And, like, I was just thinking something really quickly, which is, like, one thing that makes me mad, and I know that you're not supposed to try to imply to apply like any sensible rhetoric to racism, but like mm. he mm-hmm. does like dislike Fayette for her sort of great ideas about stuff women can do, and then meanwhile turns around to a bazooka person and is like, "We respect women here." So like, <laughs> yeah, like I know that you can apply logic to racism and that you shouldn't try to argue with racism in that way, but like. You can't, like, he is having it both ways here. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. No, and I really hate that he's um, kind of put forward as the face of tradition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, maybe your tradition's bad. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Which I do think is somewhat the point the book is making, but it's Mm -hmm. also kind of trying to help us find this middle ground where we respect tradition and authority and at the same time are able to challenge it. Mm -hmm. And, like, we talked about how that's a good thing in some ways, but it's a bad thing in these ways. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Here's a fun line from the fifth page of my copy of this book, which is, At last King Jonathan said, Though we do not always agree, my lord, you know I respect you because you are fair and honorable. Uh, is he Jonathan is a bad judge of character he Sir Roger of Comte remember that you don't know anything John you're right yeah. God you're so right this is immediately after Wilden has been like hey so let's institute this really unfair sexist policy you can't be sexist and fair you can't be racist and fair mm-hmm. 
How have we had to talk about this more than once? I hate it. <laughs> right? You just can't be. You can't. They're like, duh, prejudice is not just. Right. Like, come on. Though I do, I liked that Alana took a lot of the rage that I felt yeah. in that moment and just, <laughs> just raged. She had the rage as well. And I'm like, good. Someone knows yeah. what's up. Yeah. Thank you. She gets pissed off and it's great. Oh, I love it. It's so good. Gosh, so mad. Now we're going to wrap up. Next time, we're going to start with the rest of our Social Justice Corner discussion, uh, which will be a little bit more focused on feminism uh, and a couple of other things that we didn't hit here. So looking forward to that. Uh, If you want to ask us any questions about what's come up so far or uh, just in general, get in touch with us to contribute to our discussion. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, You can find us. Oh, except you can't before we record the next episode. But in general, we'd love to hear from you and we will get around to talking back to you. Um, and um, you can find us on Twitter at Tortle Recall, on Tumblr, uh, Tumblr.com. How do Tumblr URLs work? TortleRecall.tumblr.com. Yeah. Our website is TortleRecall.com. Um, and you can find us on Patreon as well um, at Tortle Recall. And if you have been. Um, missing us during our break uh, you can find some extra episodes there that are slightly more nonsense and slightly <laughs> more fun honestly yeah also our email is tortellrecall at gmail.com that is true and we do ask that you please put spoilers in the subject line if you're going to talk about books we haven't gotten to yet yeah I think we also or at least I've been wanting to mention as well um, our approach to if there's a question that we ask that's answered in a later book feel free to give us that information, but also there's a lot of circumstances in which we're not mentioning that on purpose because it doesn't exist yet in the books for <laughs> us. So it can't come into our discussion yet. You know, you know what I mean? It's just come up a lot and I want you to know that we're not, not answering you. But if you want to tell me, oh, they totally did explain the backstory of the women warriors in the uh, you know, past of Tortal, I would love to hear from you. I will... We might not get to it on the podcast yet. So that's kind of like our our pedagogy with that, I guess. And I just wanted to bring it up because I don't know if we've been the most clear about it. But thank you to the people that we have heard from lately. Yeah, thanks so much. Y'all have some good thoughts. We'll we'll be thinking about them, talking about them. Gus has a cool list for for us. I do have a list. Yeah, we're just doing Twitter today and then we'll get around to uh, Tumblr and I think Patreon stuff next next episode. Mm -hmm. Um. Because that's just how we tend to uh, divide it up. Um, so if you've contacted uh, us on any platforms recently, uh, thank you so much. Um, on Twitter, that has uh, been D Maidenbaum, Life of Tempest, Catherine NZR, Megan underscore D, Writer ST McGee, Ellery Woodson, Moss Lamb, Lindsay Miller, Helna, Writing Rissa, Fief Golden Lake, Love Miss Joan, Finnegan with three Fs, fish underscore and and underscore celery. Let me try that again. Fish underscore and underscore celery and raggedy bear cat. Yeah. So thank you all so much. And we also just wanted to say uh, thanks for your patience over the last like month. Uh, We took a break and it was really helpful. It was so helpful to us in our (laughs) lives. Many of us had new things start or um, I guess old things end. I don't know. A lot went on. Um, And it's important to give yourself time to deal with things in your life. And that's our our message. Oh, yeah. One new thing in one of our lives is that Amy has a super exciting new project. And she's going to plug it for us. And then you should go check it out. 
Okay, cool. Um, my friend Kara and I have spent about the last year writing an audio drama, um, which, like a fiction podcast called The God's Head Incidental, we have scripts ready, but right now we are raising money so that we can pay actors for roles. We made a short trailer out of some of the things that we've already written that features voices that you may find familiar, such as Aurora's, <laughs> Gus's, and Kelly's. Um, because I have great friends who, who come in for me when I need them. So if you want to learn a little bit more about this, we're on Twitter at God's Head Pod, G-O-D-S-H-E-A-D-P-O-D. Um, we are on Indiegogo at IGG.me.at slash God's Head Pod. Also, it's called The God's Head Incidental, and you can look that up on YouTube and find a trailer. <laughs> it's a really cool trailer. You should listen to it. Yeah, it's really exciting. What's it about, Amy? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. So The God's Head Incidental is the story of an advice columnist and the letter that she didn't answer in the city of God's Head, where gods may or may not exist. Characters include an agender thief, an agoraphobic landlord, and the god of grammar. That's the pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. So that's a super exciting thing you can check out. Because we love to criticize media, but we also love making good media. Yeah, we do. Right? (laughs) I mean, do I do any of that? No, but I love it when my friends do. <laughs> yeah, also, Abby's going to production manage this thing, and she's going to, like, she's already doing a great job. Um, can we maybe put a link in the description? Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, we will, and I'll also retweet For it sure. when this episode comes out. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so definitely find the link in our description, and maybe we can also, we'll tweet it and, um, you know. Yeah. We'll, we'll let you know where it's at. There's a loud plane. Um, <laughs> okay yeah um yeah so thanks so much for listening we also say i want to say thanks um uh to our music which is green sleeves by zeta um you can find that on soundcloud i think yeah right Mm -hmm. cool Mm -hmm. have i ever found it on soundcloud no but um (laughs) but you can you can maybe have i don't know (laughs) um um, all right oh my goodness thanks podcast bye <laughs> is that our sign off <laughs> is that is that our official sign off our post hiatus it's been sign so off? long since we did the show aren't we like bye 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 tortellini or like toodles tortellini um, our sign off our sign off is thanks for podcast bye okay <laughs> excuse me it's see you tortellini and i refuse to i refuse to allow it to go away it's the most cursed thing i've added to this podcast <laughs> of course not it's our brand I'm about brand integrity. Um, can we say it in unison? Ooh, we can try. We, yeah, this will not work. Okay, three, two, one. See a tortellini. See a tortellini. For the pun. Listeners who write to us answering our questions when we ask how to pronounce things, you can do that, but boy, are we ever not going to do anything about it. <laughs>